The music has no right to be this good. Those vibes. If only I, we could just softly talk over the music. Oh, uh, just it, you just have to cut it out, I guess. Yeah, right. Welcome. It's Friday morning, and we're here. Hey, Chad. <laughs> GM, GM. Chatty, be there. Big Chad, where you at? Sorry, I'm here. I'm here. So, uh, what's up, Chad? How is so? How is your uh, Cosmos uh, meetup from the other night? Oh, it was good. It was a Cosmos uh, meetup. Um, it was like really sponsored by a, a new chain called Noble, um, which I think is trying to to create. Uh, native like USDC on the Cosmos ecosystem, which is kind of cool. Instead of bridging it through, you know, bridges, have it be like it's a native asset that the Noble chain is implementing. Um, and um, they're actually using the interchain security for that project, which is I think one of the first ones or something like this. Um, which is interesting how they're setting it up. So I was, I was able to spend some time with uh, Yelena and, and ask her a bunch of questions. And um, we're going to meet next week as well, just to chat and uh, kind of go over some more of the details to learn more. Cool. Is it like a live chain already or uh, is it like testnet? Uh, I, don't, I don't think so. To my, I, mean, I could be wrong. I didn't ask that specific question. The impression that I got that it's not live quite yet, but it's, you know, it's going to be at some point. Uh, they've already worked at the deal with, with Circle, to my knowledge, um, to get them to actually mint and burn USDC on on, the, on that chain, and then you can use IBC to beam it around to whatever you know DeFi protocol. Oh, oh, use. is that the USDC chain that's supposed to be coming out like later this year? Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. I think we're talking about the same thing. Um, and it's cool because uh, one of these that's fascinating about this is that uh, it's one of the first Cosmos chains to not have its own native asset, I think. And so there's no like native coin that exists for like Noble. There's no Noble coin to my knowledge. And um, validators have to get paid through transaction fees on the Noble chain because it's going to cost validators about 600 bucks a month or so uh, estimated uh, to run this extra chain that they're going to, the Cosmos hub is going to validate. And so they have to make sure they're, they're earning an income from that to, to make it worthwhile. Right. And so, they have to make sure they may have to subsidize it in the beginning. I don't really know. Like I obviously don't work on the projects, so don't take my words as, as truth, but my assumption is that they have to subsidize it in the beginning. And then eventually if there's enough transactions happening to warrant the, the payouts to the validation, and just take off by itself, I suppose. But it's, it's interesting. It's interesting use case of interchain security. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I had heard about like uh, official USDC coming to Cosmos. So I don't, I guess I'm still a little confused if this is that or if this is something adjacent to that, but that's really interesting. I hadn't heard of the name or any of this, so pretty cool. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, a USDC-only chain is, like, a very interesting concept in of itself, especially in the Cosmos ecosystem. That's just, like, a different paradigm completely. So that sounds really interesting to me. So interested to hear more about that when there's more details, maybe. We could probably do a, a, a cross space with them 
you know, if we wanted to, if they wanted to kind of learn more about it, just out of curiosity. One more reason to head towards IBC aggregation. Uh, need to see Osmo or something on, on ThorChain eventually. Yeah, it's funny, like, I don't know if it makes sense to put Osmo on ThorChain directly or not. I mean, there's argues for it and there's, argues, there's arguments against it. But um, my assumption, the reason why I'm, I'm saying this is because my assumption is that the, the Atom pool will likely always be deeper than the Osmo pool. And therefore, it becomes a better conduit to move in and out of the IBC world, right? Because you'll, you'll pay less in fees because the Atom pool will be deeper just because the market cap is significantly larger. Uh, and so hopefully what we can actually do is you use Atom token, you get from the hub chain and then you use um, some of these like newer um, features in, in Cosmos to then send that in a, kind of like seamlessly and like you don't have to do these individual individual transactions yourself, but like seamlessly it just kind of uh, broadcasts the the Atom token by IBC over Osmo and then swaps it for, you know, some asset using DEX aggregation and then you get your final asset where that is. So I'm not sure if we ever will add uh, Osmosis or not, to be honest. Okay, that's really interesting because, yeah, the reason I've been excited for Osmo is because my understanding was that would be the only way to make it seamless, like single transactions, not have to do a separate transaction for the ThorChain Atom part and then the Atom IBC part. But if there's, yeah, if some of these new ways can make that happen with Atom, then that's just yeah, even better. <laughs> we don't have to complicate it. Yeah, I, I think there's like a new functionality in the newest versions of like Cosmos or what's maybe coming down the street in a sense is the ability to like batch a bunch of transactions across multiple chains using IBC is kind of like the conduit of all that. And so I think it's possible to do so. And really all, all it's doing is just creating convenience functions, right? Um, which is useful, but not groundbreaking. But and so you're basically using these convenience functions to be able to do multiple transactions within the Cosmos ecosystem to, oh, let's do this first and do an IPC transaction and then run this you know, smart contract that does this thing or whatever it might be. I think you can do that now in Cosmos. I hope I'm, hope I'm right. I'm not uh, misunderstanding something. And so theoretically, we could utilize that system at some point in the future. And that might be more capital efficient for users to, to go that methodology rather than going directly to Osmo. I think. Yeah, I love that. I'll uh, I'll push some of the the ThorSwap devs to maybe dive in and take a look there because I know ThorSwap would love to to aggregate it and but yeah, the kind of the the like the line in the sand has sort of been like the one transaction thing. So um, yeah, that would be I, I would be so stoked to see that. Yeah, man. Me too. It's something that we should uh, investigate at some point. As, a, as, a, as devs. Yeah, I think it would finally, uh, you know, wake up some of those Cosmos folks to, to what's going on over here. <laughs> and getting the aggregation out of the EVM ecosystem, like where it is right now, um, that's, that, that, that's where it's going to be. Because uh, people want to make those transactions, but there's no, like, easy aggregators to go cross-chain over there. So aggregators supporting that uh, would be absolutely amazing, especially because of the atom pool. Like it's gonna to need to go through one thing in order to have a, a deep enough liquidity pool to to go through on Thor chain, right? So, Adam pool makes sense to me. But, yeah, and then but, that'll yeah. that'll uh, that'll boost the yields. That'll attract more liquidity to Adam, uh, which hasn't been super deep so far. But if that's the case, then I'm sure that'll bring a lot more volume, which brings a lot more liquidity, uh, brings yield for Adam savers. Then maybe 
atom savers starts to look more enticing than than regular atom staking. So that that could really get the flywheel going for for that pool. Yeah, let's take a look at savers real quick right here. Um, Bitcoin pool is just about full right now on on the savers front. Um, so it looks like the synth utilization is almost completely gone over there. There's about 11 million in Bitcoin savers. And then um, one of the things I pointed out earlier this week, which is pretty interesting, uh, Litecoin, number three in, in the savers count uh, in, in terms of like the total depth with about 450,000 in like US dollar value, like 5,200 Litecoin in the, in the pool itself with a crazy APY of like eight and a half percent. Yeah, but Litecoin, big surprise on this one, but not surprising that Bitcoin pool is just about full at this point. Yeah, I think Bitcoin is like, if you look at all the savers combined by like dollar value, I think the Bitcoin savers is like, three-fourths of like all of the savers combined and i think ethereum is like you know almost a, a fourth like those those two are, are like 90 yeah bitcoin's like 70 yeah. percent uh in eth is like 21 percent. so that that's about 90 percent of the the whole thing and then everything else is like a slice of that 10 but litecoin is a i mean it's punching above its weight class and in, in terms of like uh you know where it is in this on the, on this list and, and 500k in in the litecoin pool is like it's definitely nothing to to scoff at like that's a like this is by far the deepest litecoin pool i i think uh that exists probably if i had to just take a, a stab in the dark at this i'm sure yeah <laughs> yeah i i don't know if there's any other option in existence right <laughs> Any other single-sided yield, at least? <clears throat> yeah, unwrapped. Yeah, probably. Absolutely. And yeah, that, that was just one thing I was looking into this week. Like, like what wallets are our Litecoiners using? And just like, I, I, I'm also wondering if it's sort of due to uh, uh, pa uh, Paul from Edge Wallet. He, I remember a couple weeks ago he was pushing the the Edge uh, integration and saying, like, specifically saying, "Hey, Litecoiners, like." there's yield here so i i also wonder if that's like a, a because he was specifically um you know shouting out to, to litecoiners who he probably has some connections uh with and you know his friends and with people in that community saying like hey like yield here and then all of a sudden that's the third biggest pool like maybe there's some correlation there 100 percent, yeah that's where the the growth is to get in front of other audiences besides just uh you know, our, our, our crowd here, uh, you know, get in front of the light corners, the, the, the doge, doge is another good example of that. You know, I think there's still a lot of, uh, like, we're nowhere near the ceiling on potentially tapping into the doge yield going viral. <laughs> that, that could be such a thing someday. That's at what? 137 K in dollars in that pool. 20, only 20% filled for doge. I kind of had assumption a while back that like, if you are able to market predominantly to Bitcoiners about the service, right? Almost everybody who holds any coin probably also holds Bitcoin. Like very few people are like just hold Ether or whatever. Like most people, you know, holds have a Bitcoin holdings as well. And so by targeting that particular audience and informing them that you can get, you know, savers on, on BDC, then they'll probably also inherently learn, oh, I'm also a Litecoiner and I can do my Litecoin as well. Like it just becomes like a natural thing to occur. 
That's true. Yeah, Bitcoin is like the <clears throat> the biggest domino. If you have Bitcoin, then that's so unattainable and so um, like so enticing that then you're going to go down the list and be like, oh, and they have this, 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 this. But yeah, Bitcoin is kind of like the lead, the lead marketer. What about what about BNB? Is there is there native BNB yield like single like just straight up staking on I, I don't know on the Beacon Chain, but does that exist on on BSC? Like I'm curious just how the yield on on BNB savers compares to other things that are out there. If anyone knows, not to my knowledge, but I'm not really an expert on those ecosystems, so I could totally be wrong. Yeah, me neither. I'm not too sure. No idea. But it, to me, it's not that surprising that people aren't depositing a lot of BEP2 BNB just because not a lot of people have BEP2 BNB to actually deposit. So to me, that that being like much lower on this list doesn't actually surprise me that much because people don't even have like, where, where are you going to buy BEP2 BNB besides from the regular liquidity pool on ThorChain itself anyway? So right. <laughs> where, yeah. where are you swapping it? I was forgetting for a second that even even Binance themselves isn't letting you go from BNB BSC to BNB BEP2, right? Like ThorChain is, is uh, you know, the, the unofficial uh, BSC BEP2 bridge. Well, not yet, but at least it's this a work. General Custer's <laughs> last stand. This is the last of the, the BNB DEXs. The, the, the last of the BEP2 <laughs> Uh, BNB exchange. So I think I think we should update the Thorchain bio to just say like you know the last standing BEP two exchange. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to get that many uh, people in the door. <laughs> but it is hilarious. It, it is hilarious. I, I I had a friend of mine. We were talking about um, uh, adding Car, uh, Cardano support, and they and they joked around. They were like, "Well, you'd be the first DeFi platform on Cardano." <laughs> exactly. At least that community is like probably higher self custody than like going after, let's say, like Doge, which is probably predominantly centralized exchanges. Because I know at least Cardano, a lot of people um, stake it, right? So at least maybe those people are a little bit closer to getting interested in DeFi. 100%. Yeah. Or, I mean, another big one someday. Uh, you know, if it's, if it's if it's still around and kicking, but Solana and aggregation, um, like you were saying, Cow, about getting non EVM aggregation, like uh, just just personally, like a, a handful of projects, like not even not even Sol itself, but just a handful of projects that I watch and follow, just like happen to be SPL tokens, and so I, I'm like really often in a situation where I'm, I'm trying to go from everything I have that is connected to Thorchain to to Solana and and that's still such like a step that I have to use like a bridge or even a centralized exchange or something. So yeah, someday that, that would be really Spot cool. I was working on an aggregator that could get to Solana. Uh, I mean, at, at least they said they were. Yeah, as far as I know, it would have to just use something like Wormhole or maybe there's some alternative. Yeah, but it probably use still... the bridge in the middle. Yeah, we looked at that at ThorSwap for, for a while. For a while, it was on the roadmap. But basically, as far as I understand, the conclusion was like, given the current technology that exists, we wouldn't be able to improve the UX all that much from what's already out there. Like you can already do it on, on Rango, for example, right? Like it's just multiple steps and, you know, you have to figure out, you, you don't have gas on the on the recipient chain. So there's these, these UX problems that 
that Thorchain magically fixes <laughs> for everybody, right? But when you when you can't use Thorchain, then you get kind of like caught up in these bad UX uh, situations. So the current thinking is to not add stuff like that on, on the ThorSwap side. But, uh, you know, that's back to like the one transaction thing, like what we were talking about with IBC a minute ago. Yeah, cool, cool. So, yeah, other than that, I think um, ne uh, next thing we could talk about, I guess, is impermanent loss protection. So um, if, if you didn't already know, impermanent loss protection is being deprecated for new deposits. Uh, so not it hasn't this hasn't take, taken effect yet. Uh, it will after block uh 9.45 million and block 9 million 450,000 i believe is the block number and that is the first week of february i think it's somewhere probably somewhere around uh february 6th or, or something like that uh, if i remember correctly uh it, it's somewhere that's like you know two or three weeks away at this point so if you're making a new deposit you, you'll still have 100% impermanent loss protection uh, and that's grandfathered forever, unless you add to your current position, uh, and that resets the ILP. And any, any deposit that's after that block, 9.45 uh, 9 million, then uh, you don't receive impermanent loss protection. So uh, if you want impermanent loss protection, I would recommend depositing before then. But even if you don't have impermanent loss protection, that just means you're just exposed to the tokens like you would on any other AMM. So um, that means you're responsible for whatever impermanent loss um, you, you accrue, but then obviously uh, you you have to stay in the pool long enough where your uh, where, where the, your fees earned offsets your impermanent loss. So depending on when you enter, uh, that could you know it, it's completely different depending on like when you enter because when when fees are high, you're you're making more. When fees are low, you're making less. But impermanent loss is uh, just the, the change of the price ratios between the two assets that you're depositing LPs for. So. Uh, it, it was removed because it's not even necessary anymore with um, with savers as the um, new way to provide liquidity without any risk of impermanent loss. So uh, regular LPs is kind of like its own its own thing now with with savers being um, you know the, the the simpler way to provide an LP without having to uh, have rune exposure or anything like that. So. If you, if you didn't know, um, now you know. So anything that's already deposited is already protected and will be protected indefinitely. But that is currently um, the plan for what's happening with impermanent loss protection. One kind of caveat people should be aware of that if you have something deposited now, you get you have your ILP and then post the date, you still have your ILP. But if post the, L, the, um, the ILP, you uh, add some more liquidity, then you were then you were basically opting out of ILP for both your the, the new position you just added and the old position that was already alive in the system before. So if you do want to add more capital, but you don't want to lose your original ILP, then maybe the thing to do there is to get a second wallet and de deploy it on the second wallet, and so you don't like you know take away your ILP of the first position. Just so people are aware of that concept. Yeah, I was just going to add the same thing. That that could be the move is is get your get your ILP locked in by that date. And then if you ever want to add, just use another additional wallet and then let your let your protected position ride indefinitely. And your new position wouldn't be protected, but it wouldn't unprotect your original position. So yeah, that could definitely be a good strategy. 
Um, and yeah, I think it's great we're getting the word about this now because I remember we were talking about like, oh, there'd be roughly a 30-day window, but I'm not sure everyone has realized that that started. So uh, yeah, you know, now's the time to, to, to lock that in if, uh, if you're looking to have a long-term LP position or something. And by the way, the, the Treasury is, is planning on depositing a little bit of capital into the positions, the Treasury's pools positions on each of these pools that's, that's currently in so that we kind of wipe out any, the treasury's not going to get any kind of ILP protection effectively. And so I think a good portion, because the, the treasury is a, is a large provider of, of capital to all the, to most of the pools, then that means a, much of the ILP was like, I don't know what the actual number is. I'm going to guess it's half. I don't actually know the real number is, but I'm going to guess it's half. or just be like erased overnight. Are you, are you talking about the impermanent loss protection that's currently owed to the treasury LP positions? Right, right. Uh, we, we, we had, we've never really pulled out, so we've never really, like, to my knowledge, I don't, I, I, we never pulled out of any of those pools. And so um, we've never really, you know, received the, the ILP support, in a sense, and we don't want to get it either into the future. So uh, we're going to just deposit a little bit a little bit after February 6th, or however the date is, and and kind of just kill our ILP protection. Yeah. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sweet. Yeah, so the, the, little, the little addition after that date will uh, cancel out all the previous ILP that's owed. For right. the treasury, yeah, <laughs> not everyone. Yeah, I don't think it's much though. Not like I, I checked the treasury's LP positions not that long ago, and treasury's LP positions are doing very well, which to me means that the network is pretty healthy. In that, like long-term LPs who have like a an, a a nice deposit size are like gaining significant value from being in the LPs, and like a lot of that is like there's a good number of those most of them are up on rune terms and down in asset terms like BTC or BTCB or whatever and then a couple of them are up on asset terms and down on rune terms so there's like a mix of different things but last I checked not not that long ago though um there wasn't there might have been one pool with with impermanent loss in it with uh, with the treasury LP position like they're they're all doing nice which uh that, to, to me, that just says that the, the pools are very healthy and gaining uh, a good amount of yield. I, obviously, it depends on when you deposited because that's like when like the ratio of ruined asset in which you deposited makes makes a huge difference there. But um, like the Treasury's yeah. LPs, like they, they looked very healthy to me. It's like there's a ton of yeah. ILP to be realized. Yeah, that, yeah, that makes sense. To be, um... I assumed it was a large amount of LP just because of the large amount of position or something like this, but that was a, a bad assumption on my part. What you're saying actually makes a lot of sense of the longer holding LP positions, which the treasury, generally speaking, is like the first liquidity provider of any given pool, like oftentimes. And so it's been most exposed for the longest period of time and therefore it's had the most income, which means it has the most income to fight against any IL that's actually currently in status. And so, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's also going to show that the people who are who are getting ILP after the state, that the m- amount of ILP risk to the protocol will naturally decrease over time because everybody just continues to earn more and more income with every passing day or passing month, and so ILP will just naturally trend downward. I think. Yeah, it kind of just proves the original thesis of ILP, which is if you stay in the pool long enough, you're very likely to be at a loss, anyways, and. Um, yeah, that will create an interesting dynamic with people locking it in because in in reality, it's not like you're going to most likely this ILP protection is not going to mean anything in, you know, 365 days or 
three years or something, right? Unless unless prices go absolutely wildly divergent, the the ILP liability is just going to essentially trend towards zero, even for the positions that that lock it in permanently uh, now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking right now. The only one that I can see which is actually needs any kind of protection at all is the uh, TWT pool, actually. Uh, so the, the Rune Trust Wallet token uh, pool. And it's only a very, a, f- a fairly small amount of ILP compared to the, the size of the pool. So it's it, yeah, all, all these other so like the treasury is deposited in, into a lot of different pools, and every single one of them is positive on impermanent loss besides the trust wallet one. So that that liability is, let me see, probably around fifteen to twenty thousand. Actually, oh wait, no, no. So sorry, the impermanent loss is around sixty five hundred rune. So. It's probably around like what eight eight thousand dollars, nine thousand dollars, probably. So that that is the entire uh, impermanent loss out of a out of twelve twelve million in total uh, LP positions. So uh, you know, looking looking pretty good Not on that, that <laughs> on that front, I think. Yeah, I think right right now the the total ILP risk exposure or the liability on the network right now is about two point six million rune. Right. That was the, the highest in the last 30 days was, I think, closer to like five million or four and a half million was like in the last 30 days. Just so like the, the trend, which is largely down right now. Um, that's partially because of the, the runes performing well relative to other assets for this little kind of upturn we've seen in the, in the market. Right now, in terms of it, by a per pool basis, Bitcoin is the deepest in terms of the most liability uh, with about six, six hundred thousand, over six and a half hundred thousand uh, rune. And then the next three are BUSD, USDC, and USDT, um, which makes sense because they're going to experience the most IL because they're obviously a static asset versus Bitcoin and Rune are more correlated. But the reason why you see more with Bitcoin is because the, the pool is much deeper, right? So when you do experience IL, there's more um, you know, capital being exposed to the IL. And you're getting so, less fees so over relation- time because it's, it's so deep that people are paying less fees for, for their swaps. Yep. That's valid too. Another aspect is less less fees are being collected on a per swap basis because it's so so deep. And so it's a, there's like there's like multiple uh, you know um, angles of this how it all is calculated and how it comes out. But generally, like deep pools or stable coin pools will, will experience the most the vast majority of the uh, of the um, uh, IL. If you just look at that alone, like if you look at BDC, the stables, and ETH together, that looks like to be. Uh, almost 2 million, I think, which is like the vast majority, that vast majority of the total ILP exposure, which is kind of fascinating. So this uh, treasury edition, is that is that going to be a meaningful amount of liquidity or is it just like deposit a dollar to, to cancel it out? Oh yeah, no, it's, it's just going to be like some dust. It wouldn't it. be a, a, yeah. a, a in, increasing our positions, whatever. It would just be just, just to reset the ILP and, and make sure that you don't get included in that calculus. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Just kind of like a like a courtesy to the community, really. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Totally makes sense. Um, cool, cool. So 
Yeah, spread the word about impermanent loss protection. Um, one of the things I totally forgot about is I pinned the article that was released yesterday about 2022 and looking forward into basically, I don't want to call it the roadmap, but it's, it's sort of the roadmap for, for 2023. I'd call it the, the look ahead of, you know, what, what do we think is up ahead in 2023? Because none of us know what, what's ahead in 2023, just what we are planning to be ahead in 2023. So, uh, Definitely check out the new Medium article if you haven't already. Just kind of goes into some of the growth in 2022. Uh, we saw crazy growth in pretty much every metric for, for the network just over the course of the whole year. And the network is uh, basically in terms of most things and besides a uh, rune price, obviously, uh, the, the entire network is basically at all time highs for, for most of its most of its metrics. So like things are looking good in terms of, of, of network health. And if you want to know what is coming up for this next year, uh, we, we can talk about some of this today too, but like that's, it, that details the, the rough plan on what to expect. So when you see people asking like what is on the roadmap, what's coming up this year, uh, this article will be a good resource to, to point them to, to, to show like, these are the, this is what's happening this year, lending integrations, uh, new chains and, uh, yeah, DEXs, wallets, stuff like that. I love the graph, by the way. The the, uh, the image made in that tweet is pretty neat. The oh, the one that uh, the community member made the um, DeFi theory craft, the uh, the the whole solar system one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. It's, it's pretty neat. Yeah, shout out DeFi Theorycraft. Uh, he made he's been making those for the community. Yeah. Um, do we want to go through and like just just talk about quickly what's on what's on the roadmap for twenty twenty three? I guess we could do that. Sure. All right. Let me open up my own article. One sec. The short is it's going to be a baller year. That's the short of it. <laughs> Hell yeah. It's, it's time. <laughs> it's time. The, it, this is the year everyone, everyone starts, uh, you know, waking up to what we're all obsessed about here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, really it's going to be, um, I, I feel, it feels a little bit sad to say this in some ways, but in my opinion, it's really going to be lending that wakes people up just because, Lending will naturally create uh, a, a pump in the coin, which that's the thing that gets headlines. That's the thing that like gets eyes. And it's not about like technological innovation. You can talk about cross-chain swaps on these things all day, but like, you know, if the coin's not pumping, they don't want to talk about totally. it. Totally. Right? So it's just this weird. I mean, the reality is, is uh, price is the strongest marketing in crypto. And the, the interesting part is that it's not just about like number go up and Lambos and stuff, like at least in the Thorchain space, because w w with Thorchain, what's so cool is Rune itself is so inherently tied to the network itself and to the utility it's providing. Like that creates deeper liquidity, that creates more security, that creates the whole thing to work better, create more yield for savers. The whole thing is this, this flywheel black hole, right? So um, like on one hand, you can root for price go up for your own advantage, but you can also like root for price to go up because in the Thorchain in the Thorchain context, it actually it truly does make the network more effective and, and stronger. So there's many benefits to it. 
Absolutely. All right, let's go through so, the roadmap. So can, de- so can devs do something about that? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> devs are doing everything they possibly can. Aerodonis is barely scraping by here. He's, he's going on two nights of sleep a night. We're, we're getting these integrations in. Let's right. go. That what, Also, that, that conference is, is coming up, what, like this? Is that this coming week? Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to be in Miami uh, on Wednesday giving a, a talk. So if anyone's in Miami on Tuesday or Wednesday, um, hit me, Familiar Cow, or Aerodonis, who's in the audience, up. And uh, we're going to be there. Uh, we're going to be giving a talk on cross-chain. We're going to be there with, uh, with SushiSwap, Jared Gray from SushiSwap, uh, BP Finance, and one other entity who i'm not i don't remember who it is but uh Aerodonis will be up there on the panel i'll be i'll be joining them not not there but i'll be uh i'll be in the audience we have some some passes too so if, if you are like in miami right now and you want to go to the the conference next week uh for free and just see, see the talk um we, we do have a couple passes so you can feel free to dm the thorchain account dm uh dm Aerodonis, and we have a, a couple passes to give out to some some Thorchads who are in the area. So if you'd like to come see us talk and just network a bit at the conference, then uh, we'll see you guys next week. And we'll make sure that we'll, we'll try and make sure the video is posted online uh, so people can, can watch it. We'll have a good time, but we're looking forward to just going there and just talking to people and getting some, some more integrations lined up. Like that's, that's what we're doing. So we're going to get, get into some more wallets uh, this weekend. Hopefully. Yeah, Iridan has been working a lot, um, a lot lately. I, I sent over a, a prostitute to his house the other night just as a thank you. <laughs> his, his, his name was Big Frank, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so so nonchalant how you how you said that. <laughs> I'm totally joking, by the good, way. Good one, Chad. Good one. I'm just joking around. <laughs> wow. Who who is this guy? Ian Aerodanis, the guy gave me a thumbs up on that one. <laughs> is that a thumbs up on me or, or Big Frank? I'm not sure which one that was for. <laughs> yeah, we need a human resources department. Yeah, somebody call HR. This is unacceptable. Is it I'm offended. <laughs> All right. Let, let's go. Let's go to 2023. We, we want it, the people want to know what it's coming. Uh, so, what is coming in 2023? So, first off, uh, wallet integrations. So, we we know that we've been working super hard on wallet integrations. Uh, we're going to see trust hopefully super super soon with the iOS thing. Pray, 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 pray for uh, the App Store approval for Trust Wallet, uh, and then. Listen, we've been seeing amazing growth with Trust Wallet swaps. We're getting, there's two, two, 300 Trust Wallet swaps a day. Every single one of those swaps are double swaps, by the way, because they're always swapping from layer one asset to layer one asset. So they're swapping Bitcoin to Rune, Rune to ETH, for, for example. Uh, so, and that's only with Android. Two, two to 300 swaps, you know, less, uh, just about a month after after a rollout, you know, over, over the holidays. Um so super strong. I, I I think that could double at least with an iOS uh, integration. Those um, those iOS swaps, I think, could really um, blow the top off what 
Trust Wallet is doing. And that that's with a very limited token offering, by the way. That it's only maybe uh four or five swaps per um yeah, sorry. So yeah, they're doing like a million in weekly volume uh, just with Android. So um, just like super strong integration. Like I, I think it, it could be a lot higher with with iOS too. So going to be amazing. I think I, I I think I would be curious to get what percentage of their user iOS versus Android. I, I thought it was much more heavy on the the iOS side than it was the Android side. I'm going to say yes, because that uh, agrees with my argument. So, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, my speculation would be that it's going to, like, I don't know, 5x Android. I, I think it's a lot more people on iOS, but I'm basing that off of purely a hunch and no data whatsoever. <laughs> if we're doing that, then we'll just say 100x. Yeah, <laughs> there's... <laughs> There's only like 50 or 60 people that use uh, TrustWallet Android. So the, the 10 million that are on iOS are going to do a lot of swaps. That's for sure. I'm just saying if I open my group text with my, my crypto friends, there's no green messages ever. So <laughs> it's just not happening. <laughs> yep, those blue bubble swaps are going to hit very different. Uh, all right, so what else are we going to see? Uh, so the more integrations. So we're going to see DEXs. Uh, wallets, and uh, hopefully some centralized exchanges starting to use ThorChain's products. So um, obviously, like, no no promises on, like, where, where we're going to be, but we're having these talks, and we're going to see, like, where where all this can go. Uh, we're trying to talk with everybody and just get as many integrations as humanly possible uh, coming in through Nine Realm. So if you have, if you, like, know of something in a non-custodial wallet, um, you, you know, you know someone running a DeFi protocol, a- anything that you want integrated with ThorChain, like, now is the time to get them uh, thinking about a ThorChain integration, anything that supports native assets uh, is just a prime target for a ThorChain integration because it's the it's the best way to go uh, multi-chain and support native assets across multiple chains, support swaps, savers, um, and then eventually lending when that comes out uh, later this year. Yeah, and just to add on that, um, you know, same goal at on the ThorSwap side too, um, not in a competitive way, but obviously mutually beneficial. But just to add that there are multiple teams with like the number one priority being integrations this year. So uh, just so much potential to come. And on the ThorSwap side, you know, the API is really like this, the number one focus right now, building that out to just be like this, this kit of products. That's more than that. You get like the ThorChain swaps, you get all the aggregation, uh, transaction tracker is being built out, a really effective multi-chain transaction tractor, tracker, uh, you know, dashboards for the partner to track everything that's going through them. Um, so, you know, there's like, there's just so much uh, to come in this. And I used to think like, oh, you know, like, yeah, like maybe a few integrations, whatever. But I've started to realize like, oh, this this can be hundreds and hundreds of integrations over the next like year, two years or something like that. I mean, it could get, it could get really wild for sure. So, you know, if anyone if if anyone has suggestions or connections to existing wallets, DApps, uh, any sort of project that could benefit from having swaps or savers integrated, you know, definitely get and get in touch with uh, Nine Realms Store Swap. Anyone can can help facilitate that. Yeah, I mean, in my opinion, there's no reason for Thorchain not to be in the back end of all of these native uh native wa- wallets especially like it's it just the, the wallet case is just so obvious and, and so great so 
uh, any any native wallet, we're definitely trying to get trying to get into because it's there. It's the perfect product for any wallet. So that that is aggressively what we are trying to do. Yeah, I mean, it simply makes the wallet experience better for the wallet manufacturers users. Like it, it just improves their product. It's hard to it's hard to really think of an argument against it, right? It's like, oh, no, we only want to let them hold certain assets and only swap certain assets. Uh, well, they're just going to go somewhere else if they if they can't get that feature in, in the wallet you're building for them, right? So, and then there's the avenue of it being a revenue stream, probably the, probably the number one way to monetize a wallet by far is to, to collect a fee on, on the swaps and, you know, ThorChain itself and the ThorSwap API, like, makes it super simple to, to customize all the, all the fees and splitting and things like that. So. Yeah. And a lot of those integrations are, they're um, permissionless, right? Like anybody can integrate without even like talking to us as a, as a project, right? Like, <clears throat> like that's not the same for, for chain clients because chain clients require a bunch of work and dev work. And then it requires validators to get involved, have communications and debates about what this chain is and should we add it? Should we not add it? So that becomes a much more longer process for obvious reasons. But when it comes to like wallets and DEXs, like they can just in- integrate tomorrow without even having a conversation with me or anybody else or interdance or anybody else. Right now it's, it's, a, it's a lot of handholding, which is, which, which is expected in the earlier days. But like as the process to integrate becomes smoother and and easier, which we've already been doing with like adding certain API endpoints and stuff like this to make it so much easier for for people to integrate, like it'll become the point where like the work that Iridanus and other people on Nine Realms are doing becomes, um, you know, self-fulfilling and you don't even need to actually, you know, handheld these, handhold these individual products. They just start like mass adding uh, for chain to their wallets or to their taxes. Yeah, a lot of it is just the the knowledge and getting just like having some kind of support resource because like if you if someone's just like, hey, here's the docs, just integrate it. They're gonna be like, well, what the hell is what does it even do? Like, how does it work? Like, you know, it, it, it's it's so useful to just have just the resource of having a person to be like, how does this work? Like, is this really trustless? Like. Oh, what is like? How, how do I do any of this? Uh, just having one person to ask just makes it so much easier. Which is just, I think that's what we've been seeing. Uh, just having that one-on-one support, and it, it just makes the teams feel more comfortable with integrating because they know that there are like real people who are like there to help them out if they if they need help or if their uh, their users are getting refunded because they didn't do an implementation correctly. It's like we, we have people that are always looking at that and saying like oh, you had five refunds today. Here's how you could fix those in your app and you could have no refunds tomorrow. So that, that one-on-one like white glove support is is like what we do and like kind of why we're being so successful with actually getting, get like delivering the, the final product and not just like, you know, talking with a bunch of people but never actually getting anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, I would say don't hesitate to, to ask for some handholding at this stage. Um, yeah, hopefully someday the devs are so inundated with requests that that's not going to be possible to handhold every single integration. And by then the resources will be so clear and, uh, you know, make the integration as, as seamless and easy as possible for people to just do it. But for the time being, you know, like the, the, the support is, is totally there. So take advantage of it. Yeah. But the same, at the same time, like once we get integrated with like, you know, trust wallet, or let's say ledger or whatever else, and it becomes like a known thing that's almost somewhat common to use in, in, in wallets. That's like when the third wallet, whatever that wallet is, like 
they're not re- they're not really gonna they're probably not gonna vet the the process as much as they would have when it was just this new thing that nobody knew about. When it's just mass already mass adopted through like you know major wallets and such, there's, there's gonna be less requirement for for handholding because they're not even gonna ask the question like is it fully decentralized or not? They'll just assume that it is because Ledger's using it and Trust Wallet's using it and this is using it. It just becomes a thing that people just kind of accept it is without even really needing the handholding anymore. Yep, yep. All right. Um, next, we, we already said this, but um, the impermanent loss protection deprecation. So obviously that that is happening. Uh, we already went into that, so not really much to go into there. Um, and then next is the synth cap raise and protocol and liquidity. So right now, synths are capped at a, a maximum of 30% of the total pool depth. So it, it's likely that that'll probably be raised to 50% with a, with a node vote uh, before activating protocol and liquidity. And then protocol and liquidity is uh, what's going to help scale savers by adding dual-sided liquidity. So that way, savers can, can scale up uh, accordingly. So the, the protocol reserve will start entering Rune into liquidity positions and gaining a bigger position to uh, maintain a, a safe synth utilization ratio for savers so it it basically it um what pol does is it just tries to deposit liquidity to maintain uh, a specific synth utilization so we if we try to keep it at 50 percent, then the um then the, the pol deposits when it's over 50 percent to try and bring that utilization down and then it withdraws when it's under under 50 percent or whatever uh uh parameters we we set for basically um to keep those LPs safe and uh, to make sure that the protocol own liquidity um, is protecting the other LPs in in the network by you know basically diamond handing and uh, never never withdrawing uh, so that way uh, you know everyone always has the assets that, that they're owed in in savers so the, the the utilization doesn't grow to insane numbers or anything like that. So we will see that soon, I think. Um, I, don't, I don't think there's a, a date for this vote planned yet. And um, so hopefully that will happen in the next couple of weeks. There's probably some some talks about that right now. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's like uh, ironclad at this point of what those parameters will be. Um, I think everybody kind of generally accepts to the large part of like what they're going to be to some general idea of it but not specific actual numbers um what i've kind of told people in my my two cents is we should put the synth cap at um 55 or maybe 60 percent doesn't really matter actually too much either way and then put the pol at 45 percent with a five percent buffer so that it starts adding the liquidity at uh, 45 plus 5 50 percent and it's up withdrawing at 45 minus 5 which is 40 percent and that way we just the, the pol doesn't kind of like thrash the pools every day from just market fluctuations and pricing, so we don't just we're not constantly adding and constantly withdrawing and just like going back and forth like crazy, and just bloating the chain um, with like like that. So I, I I think that's my feeling of it, my 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 two cents, but that might not be the actual final numbers. So what is the downside of frequent ads and withdrawals? Is it just like just simply how much transactions there are and how much liquidity depths would be changing? Is that the downside? Yeah, the downside is, is, is really two things, how I see it. One is by constantly just adding liquidity and withdrawing liquidity, you're, just, you're basically just bloating the chain with data. 
right? You're just making the chain, the, the physical chain size, like in terms of number of gigabytes, uh, increasing, uh, you know, at a faster rate just by a constant every block adding 30 different pools and every block we're mining for 30 different pools and then adding and adding and subtracting, adding, subtracting, adding again, and adding again, and then subtracting again. It just becomes just too much. Uh, it's not it's not a big deal. Like if you did it, it wouldn't like cause anything to fail or, or it just would just cause the, the chain to blow faster. The other component is that um, you don't want to thrash the the fuel too much because when you add uh, a bunch of so a little bit of rune and where you take away a little bit of rune, there is a slip fee that is kind of lost as part of that process because the amount of rune being added or the amount of rune being withdrawn, it's a, it should be a very small amount. So it, the the amount of slippage is quite small. But I'm, I'm not sure if you were to thrash it like you know a hundred thousand times a day that little that little that little amount could kind of like accrue to a larger number right or, or, or add up to a larger number right so if it was literally adding and withdrawing like if it went to 50.01 percent it's doing a transaction then that's just like a shitload of transactions happening <laughs> right right that's not, that's not really healthy for the network I mean, also, that's just actually doing the processing work of actually adding and withdrawing it, which is just like taking up block space, taking up computational power of the network, which is just not needed. We don't need to be like really kind of like Gestapo about like the idea of like, oh, we're at 50.00001%. Like, let's like go crazy. Or we went a little bit beyond the, the, the number. It's just, it's not really, it doesn't need to be that tight, you know, just to be a general movement in the right direction. So is this point like, a point of contention right now does does nine realms have have a differing uh view on this particular point i think we're just trying to figure out exactly what the like the what the exact numbers are that, that we want to uh to target and like just have a safe plan for for protocol and liquidity um I, I don't think there's like a specific plan yet like like i think we want to ship it but i think we just need to figure out exactly what the parameters are before we activate it right I think it's close. Like, I mean, I, um, it, it it has to be the next step um, if we want to scale savers, right? So, we just need to figure out how to how to land it in in the right way. Also, I saw. I, I think I saw. I don't know how many, but I saw some uh, node votes uh, switching over from thirty percent to fifty percent already. And I'm curious if that hits the. I, I don't know how far away it is from hitting the 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 two thirds to to switch it, but would that be an automatic switch from 30 to 50? And like, is there a risk of that kicking in before PLO is turned on? Like should, or is there like, well, it's okay if it goes up to 50 before PLO is, is turned on. Like that doesn't like, cause it, it won't be able to go above 50% because that, that'll be the new hard cap. Um, the, well, if prices change though, then if the prices change, then PLO isn't ready to, to kick in. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that is also <laughs> part of the risk. Like I, but both things yeah, are ready to go. In my opinion, we should turn on POL with whatever these parameters are. Like, let's assume we take the number that I just spoke earlier, uh, and just put it on in all the pools. That's the safest thing to do. Most of the pools, you know, we would never even use the POL because it would never get to fifty percent, right? Or for whatever reasons or cause. And so it's like it just becomes something that that's there for safety, but never is actually utilized because you don't need it, right? And for the ones that you do need to use it, like you know, Bitcoin obviously is more likely because a lot more activity there in terms of savers uh you would want with that so i personally i would like to say is put on pol first and then raise the synth cap to 55 percent or something like this or, or 60 or whatever the hell the number is going to be it just has to be larger than 50 in my opinion if you're 51 if you really want to 
it, it seems a bit silly to me. But yeah, I'd say 55 or 60. Uh, and then when we get to that number and rooms price goes down relative to Bitcoin and the synth utilization goes to 60% or 70% or 80%, the POL will do its thing and push it right back down to 50. Yep, yep. All right, so moving on, uh, blockchain integrations. So obviously, uh, this is something that's like slowed down a lot over the over the past year, and I think there's less appetite for it now. But um, it's looking like the next integration will be Binance Smart Chain, which is what was voted on by the nodes back in September or October. Uh, so I, I believe the beginning work has as is being done on Binance Smart Chain. So um, I would maybe expect another. Maybe another vote uh, before that gets activated, uh, before like that gets moved on further to, to make sure that isn't like wasted effort to see if you make sure the nodes actually want Binance Smart Chain. But I think given Trust Wallet's integration success, um, the Binance Smart Chain is just an, an easier an easier sell, uh, just given that there's that there's volume uh, waiting to be had right there with, with trust wallet, um, you know, given that they could easily integrate with Binance smart chain and that that's where their users really are. Obviously they're, they're not on VEP two uh, assets a- a- as much. They, they are a little bit, but th- like they're really on Binance smart chain and that's where people are making, making trades and that's where the volume is. So uh, I think that's looking like the next integration for, for chains and uh, we'll, see it at some point i think yeah last time pluto was on we were talking about potentially like a another symbolic vote of sorts just given that um like how, how you mentioned like there's not the appetite for adding chains i think the 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 kind of like the way i see that is like the, the appetite is there it's just that the reality is that the costs and the economics don't necessarily make sense for for node operators right now right so the the concept of doing another symbolic vote is kind of like saying to the node operators hey we could move forward to this here are your costs it's going to change it by this much it might add this much value but we'll see like would you support adding this chain at this time given the economics so i think it's worth kind of like pulling the node operators in that sense I believe Ursa said it was around $750, $800 a month to run the uh, Binance Smart Chain node. So that is uh, that, oh, that's that's basically a baseline figure of like, you know, w- w- the, the cost to, to break like, but also that's, that's all that's over all these, all these nodes and $800 a month on your, your one node, especially if, if you're, if you're like a, a small node operator and um, you you might not be making that much $800 off your bottom line might, might be a lot. Or um, you could just not really care, and you could just say like, "Oh yeah, we'll just integrate it because that'll um, make make trust wallet integration a little bit better, and we can see more yeah. volume in the future." So it's like some some like mental um, math to be had there. Yeah, my speculation is most node operators would say hell yeah to that. I don't think they're too concerned with cutting into their margin at this stage. I mean, I see node operators as the rune gigables. I mean, they're, that's exactly what they're doing. They're building the network. They're earning rune on rune and they're, they're long rune. So I think they just want the whole thing to be as um, effective as possible at being cross chain infrastructure, which means having more chains. So yeah, maybe there's some node operators that that makes a big difference for, but I would imagine like, I'll honestly be really shocked if the nodes like don't want this at this time, even given the, the economics personally, that's just my, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you. 
By the way, the economics that you're referring to really only applies in some sense to the cloud provider nodes. Like people who are running bare metal and there has been an increase in bare metal nodes since the bear market started. Like to them, adding a money smart chain would be probably no cost to them, right? But to a uh, AWS provider, then it would cost them, you know, eight hundred bucks or so. How does that work? Like, I, I, I'm like, you know, pretty technolo- technologically illiterate in that sense. Like, if you have a bare metal node, I mean, you already have the hardware, so it just you just run the you just add that your the software you're running just becomes slightly more powerful, but you don't actually have to change anything, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on how many like what kind of server you have and how many cores you have, how much memory you have, how much disk you have. And so that, all that depends on this. And so it, if we want to add Binance Smart Chain, which has, you know, it needs four cores, let's just say, and it needs, I don't even know what the, what the actual numbers are, but I'm just making up random shit. And, and your node has the, that kind of spare compute already available, then it's no cost to you. But if you find that, oh, we've already maxed out our cores on, on our, you know, bare metal node that we got. Uh, so what we have to do is buy a second bare metal box and then, the two of them get basically get connected to the same Kubernetes cluster and they're just operating as the same single unit, even though they're two physically separate boxes. And so some people who bare metal might come to a point like, oh, we gotta, we're going to add Solana, right? Because Solana is like a super massive chain in terms of hardware requirements. And so maybe for bare metals in that case, they have to spend, you know, maybe 5000 maybe $8,000, depending upon the scenario and just have that one-time purchase. Of, of that amount and then they can support Solana and a bunch of other things probably at the same time too. Cool. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, next up, uh, lending. So no, no liquidations, no expiration, no interest. And uh, I think that design, Chad, are you writing, you're writing an ADR, I believe, to um, like basically float the design out. I, I know like the, the the core of the design is kind of solid and it seems like the last few things that are just kind of being figured out right now is just the uh like how, how to prevent the um you know an inflation event in in, in Brune. it's like that that circuit breaker that um that we've been talking about so i, I think that's kind of where the, the the last things are to like figure out and uh the actual most of the design itself is is pretty solid i think like the, the core of it and uh if you want to read how that works, I don't think we, we should get into it here, but the lending design is all in the article, pins tweet on the top of the space. So, Yeah, I'm actually, this is what I'm probably most looking forward to in the, in the near future of, of 2023, uh, that as well as like the integration stuff. And um, yeah, I think this is going to be massive. Actually, I was just talking to um, um, one of the, some of the guys who were at Delphi today, uh, and we were talking about... Um, hiring them to to do like an in-depth analysis by a third party and by objective third party just because this concept is so it's so novel like nobody's ever done anything remotely close to what we're what we're attempting here and so there's a lot of um you know questions about it and how it works and how it doesn't work and what the risks are what the benefits are uh and i can talk to a blue in the face all day about what those are and i have a good feeling sense of what i think those are but to have a third party, you know, uh, group like like Delphi Digital do their own anal- independent analysis and produce their own document for their for their community, um, just to have somebody else that's not me or or, or Lena or, or anybody else with, within the project, I think would be really helpful for the community, especially when it comes to like some people online who are like now tweeting uh, negative things without actually 
talking about what the design actually is, it might be helpful for them. Yeah, too bad, Chris left. Maybe we should uh, get him on in the future. Like, pro this is probably better for like. Uh, so, are, wait, are you going to be putting out an, an ADR for uh, for Thorfi for the landing design? Um. Yeah, there'll be a vote on it at some point. I think. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that's going to be happening anytime soon. Right. I think it's still. I think it needs to go through. The code needs to be merged, which not all the code's been merged yet. Needs to go through staging, testing, all that stuff, and then we can go through an ADR. But there might be a, an ADR that shows up you know, in the, relatively soon in the next like week or two. That's more about the circuit breaker concept, right? Of like, what do we do in the worst case scenario where there's some sort of inflation things, and now we've hit the, the supply of 500 million uh, rune. Like, what is the action item we take at that point to yeah, yeah. to to help the situation? And that's the thing that's going to be uh, some people are going to be debating about in, in the near future. To be honest, it's probably never even going to happen, like likely. So that's kind of a moot argument, just because. It's only for when things go uh, in the wrong direction. And I'm, obviously, I'm bullish that it's not going to go the wrong direction. But it's good to have, to have some clarity. We all understand. Yeah. And then once we actually get everything, like, hey, this is the final, like, this is the final, this is the bill that's, like, on the floor, basically. Then hopefully we can get some more uh, external people, like, coming in and, and talking about it. Maybe, like, uh, you know, maybe that's when we can get the people uh, who are very critical of the design now to come and actually voice their concerns. Because part of the problem right now is that, like, just trying to talk about it, it it's like, you know, they're, they're talking about something that is not what it is, which is not what it will be. So it's like almost just a, uh, it's completely lost. It, it, it's a terrible time to talk about it because it, it, since the design is in flux, just as, as it is, um, Whatever said is just irrelevant based on you know what what will happen. So um, once we get the final design, then hopefully we can do some like some final talks about about Thorfi, and we can do like a couple more spaces on them, and you know we'll do some Discord stages, and we'll just we'll just try and talk about it as much as possible before like that final vote and when it actually gets released. So, um, but I, I think there's no point in doing that until we have the like the final, 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 like the <laughs> design in front of us. Right. So yeah, hopefully we'll get that soon. And then yeah, hopefully we see you lending like real soon. Like the, the last thing to land is just that circuit breaker. And I, I think there needs to be, there, there needs to be a vote on that mechanism specifically before the, the final like concept is, is approved, but yeah, Thorfi lending, man, it's going to be great. I'm still hopeful we're going to see it in in Q1 on on Mainnet, but I can't. I was promised that, but I'm hoping we're going to get that see that sooner rather than later. Q1 seems like that. It's really only uh, like <laughs> it's like it feels like it's like a month away, like Q2 <laughs> at this point. Yeah, we got like two and a half. It's like what midway through January, about midway through January. So we got about two and a half months. That should be enough time. <laughs> we're like still in december in our minds we're like yeah maybe january oh shit january 20th <laughs> and then <laughs> but but next time we talk about it, it's going to be like mid-february that, that's the thing the weeks just pass by too quick like it feels like oh yeah like <laughs> there's like two things to do but then it's like oh man it's uh it's mid-february by the next time we we are like ready to, to vote but but yeah yeah but then you look back over a longer period of time and it's shocking how much the project changes like I mean, if we look back 
a year ago from right now. It's like, you know, just so many yeah, things Doge weren't was built released, out at that time. Like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. People thinking about how Terra is going to be. Like, spoiler alert, it was pretty good for like a little while. Yeah, a year ago, I was probably I was probably tweeting every day about wanting to get Terra integrated. Memories. Yeah, rest <laughs> in peace. And we did too. <laughs> That's true. It it was very successful, and everything went really well for a oh, while. Man. How much TBL <laughs> was in that Terra integration? It was like it was like like a hundred million or something. Oh my god! Yeah, I think it was close to that. Million. Yeah, yeah. Which is which is about what the total TBL of the network. <laughs> In total, it's about a hundred million. Just to put just to put that in perspective. Yeah, there was so much liquidity in Terra, obviously, but yeah, crazy. All right, let's get through this. Uh, order books, order book design. Uh, Chad designed a crazy order book, which is built on top of the AMM. So you're actually executing orders. At, so you're you're locking up synths, and then whenever that whenever an order can be hit for your whatever price you set. Uh, it's just automatically swapped and uh, against the AMM, and then you get the final product. So you just say like, "I want to swap this at this exchange rate and get this much out," and you just put the synths into a vault, uh, like you know, in, into the module or whatever. And uh, you know, Thorchain says, "Oh wait, we can make the trade uh, against the pool, and this guy gets his Bitcoin out at the right price." So let's do it. And that that's pretty much all order books is. It's all peer to pool, and. Uh, yeah, it's just based on synths and just another another thing that's probably coming to, to Thorchain uh, this year. I think that that's probably next on the list after uh, lending. I would I would think that's kind of what what I get the vibe as. Yeah, I think so. yeah, I I think it will be interesting. Like, I'm curious to see how people will use it because I I think the downside is that if you want the native asset then you're obviously doing then there's obviously that that slip right but i guess i guess if you're just executing a single trade and you're already in a synth then you could go straight to the native asset i would assume but you're probably going to want like if if you're somebody that's using this a lot you're probably going to want to already be in synths so that you're not constantly going from native to synth synth to synth synth to native right, right? cuz then you're going to be like multiplying your your slip every single step of the way yeah, if you're if you're using this to do some sort of like almost like a hyper trading, then then you're you're right. Like, start with sense and just an end in sense, and then whenever you're ready to to just leave, just sell your sense into the to the layer one. If you're exactly to, oh, to like a, a long term trade, like oh, I'm I'm waiting for Bitcoin to hit you know 16k before I buy another BDC or whatever the hell it is you're trying to do, then on that long term sense, you could probably just set the thing, just leave it, and maybe it'll get executed in the next you know, three months or something like this. Who knows, right? That's true. Yeah, if you're putting like stink bids on something for like some black swan event, you might not care about like the extra fee if you're putting in like a like a 10K Bitcoin order or something like that. Right. Um, but for the for the average, I would imagine what most people would use this for are more like traders, like people that are actively trading. I mean, that's like, obviously this is like a, a trading feature, right? Like people that want to be able to, enter and exit probably relatively frequently or for the yep. most part. So, yeah. Yep. It's a, it's a different dex than we've normally seen in the industry. And so it's going to have a different set of attributes that are going to be positive in one sense and honestly negative in another, like 
like Cumberland may not want to use this because they don't want to pay the constant fees back and forth unless they want to they don't mind acquiring a bunch of synthetics and kind of holding that but uh, it has its it has its pros and has its cons and so it's going to address to a different audience potentially but it'd be interesting just to have the feature just to see how it gets used another um interesting <clears throat> potential use case of order books that i didn't initially consider is we've been looking um analyzing kind of the refunds that come through the network and we've realized that uh, especially since the rollout of trust most of the refunds that happen come from bitcoin because we have the inbound confirmation counting where bit we basically need to wait at least for smaller transactions at least one bitcoin block and potentially more bitcoin blocks based on the size of the transaction and bitcoin blocks can be very are you know are very variable in terms of how long i mean they can go from we were looking at it it's like some some blocks are like 45 seconds and some are like 45 minutes and so in that time of posting the transaction and when the swap actually gets executed could be like up to an hour in which case the gas could spike outbound fee could increase and then your limit that that you provide won't be met and that's what's happening uh a lot with bitcoin inbound bitcoin swaps and so one interesting use case would be that wallets could instead of if someone's going from bitcoin instead of just doing a swap you would actually do an order book uh you would you know put a limit order essentially um and that would allow that order to kind of hang out instead of refunding and eating outbound fee on the way out especially for smaller transactions that order would just hang out as liquidity um, until the outbound fee, you know, goes back down and 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 can be met, which is which is kind of a cool use. That is case. interesting. So, could you actually set it so a transaction will fall back into an order, you know, uh, an order book order if it can't be executed at the current price? It seems I like, think that's yeah. just how it, I think that's just how it works. If you if you submit an order, I mean, Chad, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think like it would essentially just kind of check immediately if that you know limit order comes through, if it can be fulfilled. If it can't, it would just you know be submitted into that order book and and checked uh, every block, I believe it is, or or I forget exactly how often they're checked. So you actually couldn't have a failed swap on Thorchain after order books are released. Is is that like what you're saying? It would just be an order instead. Yeah, I think if you if you submit an order, it would just hang out forever, really? essentially. If it's never never met, yeah, which is which is not bad for the network because that you know that's just that's liquidity, awesome. just chilling. Does that does that change the overall slip though? Like if if I'm like saying I want to go from BTC to ETH at a certain price though, and instead of just going BTC rune ETH, it has to go BTC BTC synth to ETH. Does, is 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 that an extra step of slip? No, no, I don't think so. Because, like, uh, the synthetic Bitcoin is effectively, in, in terms of the slip calculation, it's the same as native Bitcoin. It's the same, like, depth. So you submit native Bitcoin, your liquidity is held as synthetic Bitcoin, but the calculation is still Bitcoin to rune. To yeah, use. well, I think he's saying, like, uh, so, that, so since there's an extra slip that's in there, you're paying more for the fee if you're in an order book order rather than if you're just in an uh, AMM when order. you're minting yeah. I see what you're saying when you I don't mint know. the synth yeah yeah Chad how does that work I'm, I'm not actually sure on that yeah I mean so technically what happens in an order book scenario if you're going from layer one to layer one you are starting at layer one BDC you're swapping into rune which then creates the synthetic right so there's, there's a double swap there you're waiting for your order to be actually executed and then once it's actually able to execute it swaps the uh, synthetic to rune and the rune to the layer one. And 
so in total, you're you're doing four swaps in total when you're entering and then when you're exit when when you're exiting. If your order book thing can be executed now and it doesn't need to to sit around and wait for another block, then it just executes layer one to layer one. You just skip the whole synth thing entirely. It'll just like trade it now. Uh, I think that's true at least. Maybe that's not. I have to think about it more. But um, yeah, the thing I think I think about it more. But um, so yeah, there is additional fee that you're paying, right? I mean, it's the same. It's a um, it's a bit similar to how if you're trading on a sex, where you're taking your you're not you're never actually trading layer one to layer one on a sex. You're you're trading you're inserting your layer one into the the network, the the, the centralized exchange. Uh, then they're giving you an IOU, which is effectively like a synth in some ways, um, sort of. Uh, and then you're trading and doing all the things you want, and you're you're paying, you know, uh, a, a single or double swap to do those trade trades, depending on which trade you're trying to do within Thorchain. But within the sex, you're just doing a single trade back and forth with it, just trading IOUs back and forth all these places. And then eventually you want to exit and you go back to your layer one and you make a withdraw, blah blah blah. And there's fees associated with that as well. Um, the only difference is, is, I think, is that in Thorswap, when you're when you're depositing your layer one Bitcoin to acquire synthetic, there's a fee associated with that. Whereas in centralized exchanges, that's not the case. Yeah. So can you, uh, does this work if you have synthetic Bitcoin? Can you deposit that directly as an order, uh, a limit right. order or? You can. So you uh, might just acquire a bunch of synthetic Bitcoin um, through swapping or maybe through a, even a sex could, could, could accomplish that task. And then once you acquire, you can do like a bunch of like trade, like hyper trading, right? And right. not have to worry about the additional fees, right? You just need to, if you're going to do one trade and leave, then you might as well just stay, start start with layer one and go to layer one and, and not worry about it. If you're going to do like a bunch of trading and you're, you're going to be like buying and selling and because like, you're a day trader, then it makes more financial sense just to just to take a synthetic position and then like, oh, buy some synthetic, synthetic Bitcoin, then acquire some synthetic Ethereum, then sell that and get some synthetic you know, USDC or whatever it is, and then just trade around within the synthetics. And then once you're all done and ready and you're like, all right, I'm done. I want to, I want to sell, I want to go back to fiat or something like this. Then you can sell your say your synth to a layer one and then say, sell the layer one on, on an essential exchange. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Also the, like, if you, if your order can't be executed now, and it's you know needs to go into a synthetic like that slippage is is actually not very problematic especially for like trust size. like trust like the average swap size is like six hundred dollars or something pretty small so the slippage is like minuscule especially compared to like the outbound fee and so like if if you know for those retail swaps they needed they kind of use this like the slippage would be even if they're paying two you know double slippage wouldn't really be that problematic it would probably only be pretty problematic if, if you're, you know, swapping like 10 Bitcoin, which would be kind of crazy. I think the scenario that I, yeah. I think order books would be really cool in is a, an exchange, like, like something like GMX, where it's just a exchange entirely built on synths or like a trading interface that just uses synths. Like right now, everything that uses Thorchain is all layer one assets. But I am really curious to see what, a trading interface built upon synths looks like 
in using the the regular swaps as kind of like the onboarding into the exchange where it's like you, you can use your layer ones to deposit on and then you have your uh you have your iou tokens that you could trade back and forth really quickly with basically no fees and and make your spot trades and do, do your order books and then uh you know, hopefully with, with perps, people could do leverage and things like that. Like, to me, that's kind of the, the final evolution of where this goes. You have like the native trading, like, like wing, which is kind of like the, the on and off boarding to, to ThorChain. And then you have like the internal trading, which is, uh, you know, since order book, um, you know, even even lending is just is just lending out like derived assets, right? So it's like, um, there's like the onboarding with with native assets, and there's all the internal trading that you can do. And no, no one's really capitalizing on that right now. Building a, a, a since like trading platform, like a, like an interface for for people to to trade. And maybe that's just because the lack of leverage uh, on Thorchain and like the things that like tools that that traders would want to use. But um, like that sounds like an easy way to have an interface that has like a unique value proposition, and um, you know build build a unique product for people that people would want to use 100 percent, yeah with those features in it seems very plausible to build a, a sex-like experience uh you know on chain with synthetics one potential downside or or like uh you know hurdle to, to solve is uh how that plays in with dex aggregation though because obviously there's been such a push towards gas assets on Thorchain and not every asset which means you only have the synthetics for the the main assets, right? For for this sort of platform. So then the question is like, can you still daisy chain that with DEX aggregation and get all these other assets integrated? And will that be possible to do order books uh, through aggregation? I know uh, I know Oleg at, at ThorSwap has been looking into this, and um, w- w- to be determined <laughs> if, if if it's fully possible in all directions and stuff like that, but. That that would be, that would be especially cool. I mean, if you're really if you're really having the the, the sex like ex- experience, it's gotta it's gotta have it all, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a fair it's a fair point to make. Um, yeah, we'll we'll see how it kind of like irons out. But the the problem with that is that because we have limited security in the network, because we we want to maintain economic security, so we can't just unboundedly accept as many coins and many networks as as. Um, as, as, as possible we have to limit things and so we can't just ex- have really super deep pools for every coin in crypto because that would just we wouldn't have enough security so, to support such a thing which is why we tend to tend to focus on the, the primary assets the blue chips and uh lastly we have uh perpetuals so i i think that there's a very very early design document on the GitLab, and I don't think really much more has been done there. I know Chad isn't even uh, uh, a huge fan of like what's currently proposed, or um, you know maybe it, it's just so early in this in this process. But I, I think there is interest in a design in a in a per- protocol on on Thorchain. So it's just very, very early in the design there, but I just wanted to call out that that was one of the, the things on the the 2023 look ahead doc as like maybe something that we'd see in 2023. So I would look out for the design evolutions of that. And maybe that's like something that could be seen like maybe towards the, the back half of this year with, with the other things being the higher priority items that are um, like closer to, to ready to go. Yeah. I mean, I, purpose is an interesting concept. Um, and the reason why I think we're interested in it is just because 
they just create a lot more trade volume. And obviously we like trade volume. So that's the reason why we're kind of interested in poking at the idea. Every design that we've seen, at least I've seen thus far, I'm not a particularly huge fan of. I just don't think it's safe. Uh, for example, like because when perps are dealing with leverage, the ability to manipulate the price uh, and do a price manipulation becomes more viable because the value you're getting out is leveraged, right? And so it can kind of counteract the the cost that it takes to, to price manipulate, um, you know, the Bitcoin pool or whatever it is. And so I have some concerns around that, around that to make sure it's done. It can be done in a safe way. A lot of other DEXs just tend to use like, I think GMX, for example, uses like chain link as, as a price oracle, as an external price oracle, which, you know, I guess that's, it works. Uh, but also you're relying on a centralized entity to give you correct price information, which we've also seen chain link not give correct price information and, People got completely wrecked, right? So, it's I, we still need to think, figure out a way to do that in a way that's that I, that it feels safe to me. Um, but I don't think we've done that quite yet. Yeah, super early on on that front. Like, I, I don't think that's something we. I, I think that whatever is in the current design doc is probably just like the, I mean, it is the earliest like version of whatever perp thing could eventually come out if that's something that the nodes decide that they want. So um, yeah, I think there's probably going to be many more designs that, that, that come uh, after this, <laughs> I, I would think at least. And that's that's pretty much the end of like the, the 2023 look ahead. It's just um, a better UX for developers, which is something that Nine Realms has been working on, just improving the developer documentation and keeping good communications with everyone that uh, we're trying to integrate with. So that's pretty much everything that is like currently planned. That doesn't mean that it's everything that's going to happen in 2023, but that's uh, pretty much everything that is like being looked into slash worked on right now, as far as I know. And that, that's just core protocol side. So that's not obviously including all the interfaces and, and awesome people that are building on ThorChain in their own way. So, yeah. Any uh, any other thoughts or anything like that? Anyone have questions that wants to come up and ask something about anything that we talked about? Yeah, I think that was it on the list, but anyone feel free to hit the request button. Yeah, we'll do one or two questions. I don't think we need to keep this too long today. But... Yeah, so many awesome things to look forward to in, in 2023. Little teaser, I think there's going to be two separate ThorSwap announcements today. Medium, medium size announcements. In addition to uh, <laughs> one-inch Avalanche on the Dex aggregator, or is that separate? Uh, well, that's one of them. Right. <laughs> so you leaked that yeah, one. That's leaked. all right. It was we already... <laughs> Oh, they already. I haven't even seen the tweet. I guess it was while I was on yeah, here. Yeah. But yeah, that's one of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so one inch um, aggregation for for Avalanche now live. Cool. So, what can you? Uh, is that like swap in or like certain routes? Or I'm, I'm not sure which. Uh, you know, like what can you trade on one inch Avalanche that has good prices. Uh, yeah, I don't know exactly what assets work out to be the best rates, but essentially, you know, it's just it's added in with um, with Trader Joe and Pangolin, so it's always scouting to see which is going to give you the the best rate for for the swap that you're you're quoting. So I'm I'm sure there are some cases where one inch will give you a better rate than anything that was currently already integrated. So 
just helps, you know, progress the, the ThorSwap experience and also for any API integrators, uh, you know, just helps users get better and better swaps with every additional um, route that's added. Uh, brought up Juggernaut. Good morning. What's up? Hey, can you hear me? Yep. Yep. Uh, not too loud. Because I changed the microphone, I don't know. You're good. It's You're fine. good. We can hear you. Okay. Uh, just one question, because uh, a lot of people ask about it. Uh, on the roadmap now, because uh, I don't know, three months ago it was that, perhaps it has changed now, about integration of new blockchain. Uh, I stayed to the last uh, project uh, three months ago. That was uh, for Nine Rims uh, smart chain, okay, BNB smart chain, uh, which is logical because uh, it which uh, it will uh, bring uh, same security problems that Ethereum, uh, so uh, it's logical and Haven for the core team for the core dev. Is it still the case, or or not? What answer to people say uh, when haven't? Because Dash is already quasi uh, integrated to Maya, okay? So, heaven, what can I answer to uh, even people to uh, for their uh, XHV? Yeah, I think the question is when when is Haven being integration yeah. being integrated? If I'm understand, if I'm understanding correctly. Um, the last, I, I don't know the latest, to be honest with you. I haven't, I haven't spoken to the, the dev working on this stuff in a while. But um, the, the original Haven code, the chain client code, was, was not up to, to a, um, a code quality that, that our, one of our uh, Bifrost devs um, um, has. And so there was just kind of this concern about some aspect of like how it was implemented or some aspect of the code. And so there was a, a push a while back, I think it was like a month ago, maybe a little over a month ago, to, just to start building a new chain client from scratch um, by one of our by Frost devs, uh, by Heimdale specifically, um, to, to build a Monero um, thing and integrate with Monero uh, primarily. So I, I don't know if Haven's still gonna happen or not at this point, to be honest. To be, to be honest, it's looking a little bit more on the bear side uh, at this particular moment, but um, but getting Monero integrated is, is obviously the most important one for us to do from a, from a privacy perspective. That's just the most um, useful uh, privacy um, uh, system in the entire crypto space, better than Tornado Cash and better than Haven and better than um, many of them. Yes, but what I understood is uh, to... Um, to bring Monero to Torchain, it's necessary to integrate first Haven. Uh, no, it's not necessary. It was it was a little bit necessary before because it was the Haven team that was building the chain client, and we did. It felt like a kind of a big dick move to like take their code and not integrate their chain. It just felt like a dick move, and so and and it does make some sense to add it on a small scale first, like a smaller chain chain first, just in case there was any issues. Would be as big of an issue, um, 
would be a lot of capital at risk. But um, since we're building our own chain from scratch at this point, it seems like then there's not really a desire or a need to, to, to add um, Haven, especially at this time when, to my knowledge, the, the stable coin is still depegged, which is a primary use case for the asset. And their market cap is like, I don't know, I want to say it was like 6 million or 10 million not too long ago or whatever it is. Like it's very economically insecure. And so it's not really sure if it's okay, worth okay. it. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your answer. And thank you all for your works. Awesome. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, I brought up Scott too. Hey. Hey, what's up, guys? Uh, all right. I got. I'm skiing right now, so sorry if you can't hear me very well. But uh, I got a question. My dad, he's a boomer, doesn't believe in Thorchain, skeptical of everything crypto, and he asked me how um, how Chad actually gets paid. And that was something that I was kind of curious about because obviously you're not doing this for free. Um, but how do like the devs get paid for working on Thorchain? And that's my question. Yeah, good question. Um, to be honest, I actually haven't been paid in a very long period of time, <laughs> which is actually true. Um, uh, generally, what happens uh, for most devs is so we have a treasury, right, which is a, a fund of, of capital that we've uh, started off created with, I think it was 1.5 million, and that we got a few rounds from investors. This is back in like mid 2019. And then since then, a bunch more investors came on and um, and the, the treasury value just increased because of markets and stuff. Um, and so devs will generally get paid, um, you know, various amounts uh, depending upon their their um, their, their contribution. Um, they usually get paid in a stable coin, um, might be like a, a USDC or a BUSD, something like this. Um, we don't pay high salaries at all. I think the highest possible salary as a dev on uh, Thorchain is uh, a 10k a month, which is you know relative to what like I if I wanted to I, I live in New York City for example and if I wanted to get like a like a dev job in New York City I could make a lot more than that if I wanted to um, and in addition to that each dev has a contract around you know some some locked rune tokens that get released when certain milestones are hit like like mainnet for example or uh, other kind of milestones and so. The amount of room that those those devs get is obviously part of the 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 you know compensation compensation package, and so if the product does well and the room token goes up in good value, then you know that 10k a month that you're earning or or 5k a month depending on the, the, the dev, uh, you know earns you know that that 10k is basically nothing compared to the room that are actually earning, um, depending on the, what their compensation is. So, um, yeah, that's how the, the payments work. Does that make sense, Scott? Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. Uh, thanks for answering and super excited. I'm working on a bum job and every dollar I get, I buy more room. But yeah, thanks for answering. Uh, I got to go. We'll see you. Thank you. He's, got He's literally on this <laughs> as we speak. He literally just jumped off the fucking, you know, uh, two, what the hell they call that thing? The seat you jump off and then you just go down the hole. <laughs> the hell? Dude, I really did just get off the lift, uh, but I got to pull my phone up. All right, we'll see you. Dude, 10 out of 10 energy, Scott. That was amazing. <laughs> he's, he's skiing and learning about Rune. <laughs> Multi it's like, hey, I'm uh, jumping out of a plane right now, but just a quick question for each. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Pluto's like, I'm, I'm visiting uh, you know, Big Frank right now, but I have a question real quick. <laughs> <laughs>
Yeah, I, I'll just add a little bit onto that and say, like, all the other, like, that's how the, the core team gets paid. And every, uh, like, like Nine Realms is, like, uh, is like a uh, an organization, like, in, in the United States. Like, it's its own company. So we get, like, a regular, like, paycheck, like, like normal. So it's, it's every team has, like, their own thing that they do. That's just how the core team does it. And Nine Realms does its own thing. And I'm sure, like, you know, DoorSwap has their, has their own way of, of paying their own, uh, you know, employees. And everybody else does, too. Yeah, on that, another thing that might be helpful to explain to him is just like why projects have tokens in the first place. And in a lot of cases, it's to distribute ownership of the entire thing, right? So like even you as as, as a token holder, like you're, you are incentivized to to help it succeed, right? Like that's that's kind of a big factor. So people just, that's kind of how it works in crypto is you a lot of times just start working and helping out on something that you're believing and have have a stake in right because you're you're already holding incentive incentive to do that thing so that could potentially help him understand a bit more just like understanding why tokens exist yeah true true uh all right let's have this one last person up and then i guess we can wrap it No, no, don't, don't wrap your to- tokens. <laughs> no wrapping. Equinox. <laughs> yeah, hi there. I'm wondering if Torchain can start to, to feed the trading view with the prices. And I guess trading view is the leading financial data provider in the retail space. So the thought is that um, it's free marketing. Uh, I'm not sure if I understood what you just said there. Say it, say it again. Yeah, um, TradingView, you know, is the I guess it's the leading financial data provider um, for the retail space. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and uh, a handful of other DEXs are feeding their pool prices uh, for TradingView. So you can actually go to see all the sushi swap prices, all the Uniswap prices, and so on, right? So if TorChain can start yep, to gotcha. feed TradingView with prices... Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. Um, I don't know what it takes to actually do such a thing. I mean, uh, that I, I inter- since the handful of other decks are already doing it, it's, I guess it should go. And it's free marketing, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's a good idea. Um, I'll poke uh, the Nine Realms steamer. I mean, Eric Dennis is here already, so he's listening to Pluto here as well. But that's another thing to put on the list of integrations. Yeah, and then the same procedure, uh, but for the institutional space, is to do the same thing for Bloomberg. I don't know if you're familiar with the, um, the Bloomberg platform. Uh, of course, yes. Of course. Yeah, so they start to feed them with prices as well. So they're, the Torchain brand name, everything will be visible for the big bucks. Yeah, sure. Well, um well, I'll put it on as a task item for the Nine Realms team to take on at some point in time to investigate um, that, those in, in, integrations. Yeah, we'll definitely yeah, look cool. into it. Thanks. I see. Oh, Ryan was just connecting. Maybe he has something to add on this? Yeah, uh, Equinox, I was just curious about uh, TradingView. Um, you know, currently, when you look at sushi prices, that all that does is show displays the sushi prices. Are you able to execute through TradingView, or is it just a way to visualize the um, candles? Uh, not currently. You cannot execute. You cannot connect your uh, your your ledger on trading view and start trading. You cannot do that. Yeah, got it. Got it. Okay. 
yeah, that seems like something we could absolutely um, support. I'll, I'll look into it a little bit. But the, but the, the most interesting stuff is uh, to, to provide Bloomberg because uh, at some point, if you can connect uh, directly with your ledger on Bloomberg, then you immediately access to the big bucks. I mean, is that even is that even announced as like a Bloomberg feature, or or is that a is that Hopium? <laughs> Hopium. Okay. Yeah, I, I like the, I like that vision. Um, but yeah, I think we can get uh, price data in front of people, you know, faster, and then that could get leveraged into Bloomberg in the future. Cool. To be fair, though, I think right, especially now in the in the bear market, Rune is more positioned towards retail users, just because the liquidity is relatively small but as the liquidity grows and becomes larger and fees become cheaper then larger scale um swappers can, can uh you know come in if only yeah. someone was working on onboarding institutional uh liquidity and market makers to, to thorchain <laughs> yeah and then maybe they can be the the leading charts on trading view someday if the if the liquidity is that deep too because yeah to your point like Whenever I'm checking the rune price on TradingView, I'm just it's like the the Binance price or something, or I have this like wacky chart to try to get uh, the Thor versus rune ratio because I like to watch that, and it's just like a mess of different charts pulling from like centralized exchanges and sushi, and it's just like not very elegant. I mean, I, su- I suspect if you're using a blue Bloomberg terminal, then you don't really care about decentralization. And you'll probably just trade through Coinbase or, or Binance or something like this. You probably don't really, you may not see the value of using something like a Thor chain possibly. You know what I mean? Yeah, potentially. I guess they're just uh, watching stats and numbers move around. But this makes me think um, TradingView, TradingView should just have a swap widget. Why does that not exist? <laughs> Somebody should get on that. <clears throat> Uh, let's go to the last question. Uh, Muna, what's up, man? Hey, I'm good. Hey, guys. Um, good job all around. Um, I just, you know, just a crazy thought while you guys were talking about institutional um, clients. Um, the slip-based fee model, how would that, like, apply to institutional clients, like, regarding, like, taxation and stuff like that? Does anyone have any ideas? I don't see how that would make any difference regarding tax. I, I don't. I don't think that there would be any difference in taxation. That's just the fee that you're paying to the network to to use it. So I don't think that makes any difference in in, in terms of how much you're being taxed. I think it does make a difference in like the usability and like how much you can how much value you can extract from any given transaction because you're you're likely paying more in fees than you are on another service depending on the swap size. But I don't think. The, the slip fee itself changes any kind of like tax obligation or, or anything like that. It just makes it so you, you get, you normally get out less than, you know, some kind of like low fixed fee or, or something, depending on the trade size. Kyle, did you put up this, uh, this tweet? Pin oh, yes. Uh, Shapeshift just uh, posted that. Zero uh, X DeFi Cafe just posted that. A uh, little alpha leak there. It looks like Shapeshift will be releasing their Savers Vault implementation uh, very, very soon from from what I hear. So also getting ready on like the marketing front on that. And um, yeah, I, ho- I hope 
people are like looking forward to uh, Thor Chain and Shapeshift together in, in 2021. I, I have a feeling that, um, you know, the, the, they'll become closer together and, and the story will be like pushed out there further. We're going to be together at East Denver in March. So anyone's planning on going to a conference this year, go to, go to East Denver. We'll be there with Shapeshift. And the Shapeshift and, and Thorchain are just so perfect together because the, the, the whole story behind Shapeshift is, is literally like the, the hero story for, for Thorchain. And then all of a sudden they just rise together. Then they're this, this, this DAO that runs the, the, the front end. And then it's this de- decentralized liquidity back end that, that's created that can basically power everything that the DAO does without, you know, without uh, custody. So it, it's, it's pretty incredible. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what Shapeshift can do with Thorchain this year. I hope they get a little tighter with their Thorchain integration. By the way, there's, there's another pinned tweet. So this is the second one that I that I pinned earlier. It's a tweet thread from the the Thorchain account that kind of went over um, a high level of Thorfi lending thing, considering just some of the discussion from yesterday. It's a good tweet thread, well written, well done. Um, give it a read um, and spread the word. Yes, sir. Looks good. I haven't even read that yet. All right, guys, that's it for today, I think. Sorry. (laughs) As Chad was saying something. My bad. No, I was was just going to say that, like, because there was um, TBR, uh, Tyler, um, and um, LX Fubar were, like, kind of throwing some shade around the the, the lending uh, concept without knowing the design. And so uh, somebody from from the ThorChain community posted this tweet thread to kind of explain the high level, just to give them something to, to read without spending an hour and a half. Cool. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> I feel like that one sounds more like disappointed. Yeah, the emojis are not representative at all. I know. It's, it's pretty bad. Sorry. I, yeah. <laughs> I did the same thing with that one once. I was like, I thought it was going to be like a, like an excited oh. woo sound. Yeah, exactly. And then it's like all disappointing. It's like bummer it's like, sounding. Oh, oh. no, <laughs> it's not the same sound at all. You just get, you need to fix the emojis. All right. That's it for this week. I think uh, maybe next week, maybe the next week we're going to have Shapeshift on and we're, we'll talk uh, more about Shapeshift and, and Thorchain and how Shapeshift is going to be utilizing Thorchain with Savers Vaults and, uh, hopefully everything else that, that Thorchain offers. So, yeah. Yeah, and come meet us in Miami. We have nine passes. I mean, these these passes are going to go unused. So literally free tickets to this this conference. Yes. Hit me up if you if you want them. Yeah, anyone in Miami, DM Eridonis right now, especially be free on Wednesday. Do it now. Do it now. <laughs> Alrighty. All right, guys. Yeah, Later. let's go. Bye-bye. All right.